Now, the most beautiful part of this is the fact that the Prophet didn't stop there. He places his hand on his chest and he says, Oh Allah, forgive him for his sins. Oh Allah, purify his heart and oh Allah, protect his chastity. Hold on, let's get back over here. I think you've hit the nail on the head without realizing it over here. So when we look at communication, what percentage of it is the words that we express? What percentage of it is our body language and our facial expression? And what uh, percentage of it is actually the tone that we use, right? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi everyone. Welcome back to the Ilmfeed podcast. It's your host Shabir Hassan. Uh, today we're joined uh, by a guest, alhamdulillah, who's coming back after many, many years, Sheikh Naveed Aziz, all the way from Canada. And we sat down to discuss uh, emotions, how to manage those emotions and emotional intelligence, how to develop that emotional intelligence, how we find many uh, references to this from the seerah of our Prophet and much, much more. So stay tuned and hope you enjoy this episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh for having me Alhamdulillah, thank you for rejoining us Alhamdulillah uh, In what feels like a, a lifetime ago Yeah, pre-pandemic because, to post-pandemic, yeah, yeah. subhanAllah Alhamdulillah, so it's lovely to have you here in our new studio, new settings Jazakallah khair, it honestly um, looks wonderful, mashallah, mubarak, congratulations Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah So um, yeah, I mean today today's uh, discussion is going to be slightly different I remember last time we spoke a little bit about marriage and getting to know prospective spouse and things Correct Um and I'm sure there'll be some references to marriage here and there based there on especially <laughs> marriage and gin. Like, can we get away from it ever? <laughs> based on, yeah, based on even the discussions that we're going to have, I'm sure it ties back to relationships as well. Of course. Um, which is to do with emotions, emotional intelligence, um, that kind of thing, which is some really important topics. And I remember when you mentioned, uh, when you initially gave me a kind of list of topics, mm. as soon as I heard emotional intelligence, I said, this is the one because we rarely have uh, discussions on this. And, uh, I think slowly what's starting to happen is you're starting to see more of this being discussed around the world, mm-hmm. mainstream in the West and so on, in workplaces. For sure. Um, you have all these buzzwords and all of these things. But um, yeah, one thing I love is framing things from our perspective. 100%. And, uh, the integration of Islam it. into the social sciences. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, you'll always find that there's a, there's a link back to, to our sources. So, Sheikh, I want to just start with, before we get to any, anywhere else, starting just with... Emotions, yes, just emotions. Um, yeah, it's it's not something that as men we uh, sit and <laughs> and are usually open with and discuss. Unfortunately, right? that is the case. Yeah. yeah. So um, emotions. I mean, let's 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 look at it from different perspectives, Islamic perspective as well. You know, from my understanding, and this is where I want to get your thoughts on is, of course, with with emotions, it's almost like certain extremes. Where on one extreme, you may have a group of people who almost try to like negate emotions uh, entirely, mm-hmm. right? Just don't even talk about it. It's not even in the picture, which of course is an extreme because as human beings, you know, this is, you know, we live and breathe emotions, right? For sure. And another extreme may be where you take those emotions to, you know, uh, and you're kind of excessive with them um, and you don't know how to control those emotions. For sure. Uh, a simple uh, example being anger as an example. Right? Anger is an emotion. One extreme may be that uh, someone tries to completely negate anger and the other is like you get angry and you just lose complete control of course so is that that's that's kind of my intro to things me understanding things so is that is that are we on the same wavelength here i i think for the most part and i think it's also important to tie this in into modern day masculinity Mm. right what does that look like and how do we tie emotions into it so if you show love and care does that make you less masculine and then this is going to go back to the greater further discussion was the most masculine man that we know, the Prophet ﷺ. Is he the ideal masculine man, right? Because if he is, then we need to replicate mm. and, and mimic how he was. Yeah. And it's very fascinating that you see similar discussions during the time of the Prophet ﷺ with regards to how he showed emotions 
and how it took the companions off guard. So we have the famous hadith of uh, Al-Aqra ibn Habis mm. that he saw the Prophet kissing Al-Hasan and Hussein and he says, Ya Rasulullah, what are you doing? <laughs> I have 10 kids. I don't kiss any of them. Yeah. And the Prophet clearly told him that whoever does not show mercy will not be shown mercy. Yeah, yeah. Then we have the case when uh, the son of the Prophet Ibrahim Ibrahim uh, passed away and the Prophet started crying and the companions were like, Ya Rasulullah, what's this liquid coming out of your eye? And the Prophet said, Inna hala rahma, that indeed it's, it's a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that to be able to cry and to, to cleanse your insides of the feelings that you're feeling, right? Everyone feels better after they cry, right? Yes. So the Prophet is showing that it's a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to cry. Now, if you look at both of these things, showing affection and crying, they would not be considered masculine emotions. Mm -hmm. Yet here we have the best of mankind displaying these emotions publicly and educating the masses that, look, this is a natural human experience that you should embrace. Now, it's important to understand that you have to show the appropriate emotion for the circumstance that you're facing, right? And that's what the Prophet was highlighting. So when you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with your family, you want to show love and affection. And when a calamity strikes and you're sad, you're distraught, then there's nothing wrong with crying at that time as well. So yeah, I wasn't going to go into it, but since you've now mentioned it, it just seems like, you know, we must highlight this this whole um, masculinity, you know, you've made reference to it. Um, which is clearly, you know, as you're aware on social media, something in the last, you know, a year or so um, is is being discussed, and certain uh, figureheads are leading the way in 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 these discussions as well. And uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the this a lot of the younger generation, they are taking certain figures as you know their role models for masculinity, and they have a very uh, warped idea of what it means. You know, it, it means you know, of course, uh, have to be you know, go to the gym and build build muscle and uh, you know. I mean, let's pause on that for a second. Yeah. I, I do think it's important to be physically fit and athletic. Oh, of course. And this yeah. is like a, a downfall that uh, you know myself included. And that's where I, I start off with. So that it should be an ideal, but mm. does physical fitness tie into masculinity per se, or should all humans be physically fit, right? The Prophet even yeah. in his old age, we know that he used to walk with the determination and he was always faster yeah. than the other companions. Does that mean that the companions were out of shape? No, mm. the Prophet just had a different level of fitness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So physical fitness should not necessarily be tied into masculinity. That should be a human condition that we should all be fit, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm yeah. glad to clarify that. So yeah, I mean, just, just having this idea of, okay, this, this, this kind of man, you know, linking it to, uh, the, the, you know, surrounded by women and with a cigar, fast car, and things like that. This is the idea. I, of... I wonder who you're describing <laughs> right now. I really wonder who you're describing. I don't describing. know. I'm just, I'm just making it up. You know, I'm just making it up as I go along. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this this has become the ideal, uh, you know, mas masculine man, the, this image, yeah. right? Um, but subhanAllah, you know, you look at, you know, as you mentioned, we, we don't talk about, okay, what about a man who processes emotions the right way and communicates in a particular way and so on and so forth. You know, I remember actually uh, one of the first um, quotes in Arabic that I remember memorizing when we first started learning Arabic language, my, one of my uh, teachers, he says, you know, Jamalul Mar'i Fasahatul Lisanihi. Like uh, yeah. the beauty of a man lies in the eloquence of his tongue. Of course. This is again something that we don't uh, really focus on is a person, the way they communicate and their eloquence and things. Which actually highlights, you know, again, this is something that people used to take great pride in in, in different course. societies. So, um, yeah, leading in from that, where we have this idea that certain people have of the, the, the ideal masculine man, and then, which sometimes can become toxic because those are the only things that they're focusing on, which becomes very kind of artificial sure. um, versus the things that actually matter in day-to-day -day relationships. So what is your, what is your almost response to, to that? My response to that is our ultimate criterion 
is what Islam says, and our ultimate role model is the Prophet And if our understanding of masculinity is misogyny and chauvinism, that's not who the Prophet was. It was about abusing people and manipulating them and taking advantage of them, as is often the case with such people. That's not who the Prophet was. If it was about getting them to care only about the dunya and everything that the dunya has to offer, that isn't who the Prophet was, right? So I think those dimensions and discussions are definitely missing from that camp. And they need to be integrated without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to emotions, then. So, so as so as we're saying, you've got you've got a whole range of of different emotions. As we as we said, you know, you have sadness, you have anger. So the anger one is interesting because you know there's the, there's a famous hadith where the companion came to the Prophet and asked for advice, and the Prophet said three times, "La taqdab, don't become angry," which some people may take as okay. That means I can't even feel anger because the Prophet said, "Don't become angry." That means just completely. Get rid of that. It, it doesn't even exist. Which you know, I, I think I think uh, you know we would say that no, it's natural to feel a, a level of anger. You can't really. It's about controlling and suppressing the anger for it not to lead to to something mm. where you face uh, consequences and, and you end up hurting someone. So again, it's the idea of not getting rid of the emotion. You know, don't be sad. Right? That doesn't mean la tahzan doesn't mean uh, don't ever feel any sadness in your heart and don't cry because you gave the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But it's but it but it's you know just there, there's extremes. So so coming to the extreme, um, you know, there's examples of, for example, wailing and, and things like that. This could be an extreme uh, in in those circumstances. So how can we kind of find the the balance when it comes to these uh, emotions? So I, I think let's focus on the the function of certain emotions themselves. So anger is meant to be a defense mechanism, right? So when you're threatened in a certain way, then it's natural to become angry. When something you love becomes threatened, it's natural to become angry. Mm. However, if there's nothing happening and you're becoming angry, then something's wrong, right? So it is a reaction to something. That's what we want to look at. Now, what you're reacting to, do you have an appropriate level of anger or not? Now, yes, we have the hadith of la taghdab, but we also have the hadith of uh, you know, what is halawatul iman and getting angry for the sake of Allah mm. subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Mm. So anger should take place. And the Prophet, he never got angry for his own self, he always got angry for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. So anger has to be placed in its uh, proper place. So that being said, I think the correct emotion in the correct circumstance, the level of reaction to the level of, of, of circumstance, and then looking at, you know, not just the emotion itself. But what is the manifestation of that emotion? Mm. So a person becomes angry. Do they become vulgar and obscene? Do they become destructive and start breaking things? Do they become uh, abusive and start putting people down? All those things we, we want to take a look at, right? So this is how we would navigate through those emotions. Now, another aspect to this is even with regards to desires, right? Is the desire the same thing as an emotion, right? So when you love a woman and you desire her as well, the way you implement that and act upon that, right? There's halal way and a haram way as well. So your desires need to be kept in check. Similarly, so do your emotions. So that's okay. what I would say. Yeah. It's, 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 so as, as you were speaking there, Sheikh, I was thinking of, for example, even happiness or joy as an emotion, um, which is, you know, everyone wants, everyone wants to be happy. The yeah. pursuit of happiness, as they call it, this is what everyone wants, right? Uh, but it's interesting, for example, like in the Quran when Allah says, Again, you might look at that thinking, okay, Allah says, don't be, it depends how you translate it, right? Yeah. Allah doesn't like the farihin, and usually when you think of farah, or someone who's farhan, is a happy, joyous person. But here, I think it's more referring to the excessive, the, the happiness that kind of brings you to the to pride, to the territory of 
pride, you could say, where you know you're so uh, overjoyed by what you have, you start kind of boasting about what you have. You start becoming proud and and almost arrogant, right? And this is kind of what Allah is because I think it's in the context of Qarun. Mm. So he's he's really you know arrogant and boastful over his wealth, uh, what Allah has given him to the extent that he says, "This is all." Due to me, this, I give credit to myself and, and, and to no one else. So it's, it's just interesting to see that throughout the Quran, like there's there's all these references to how to manage even uh, emotions. Of course, hundred percent. Like we have farihina bima atahum Allah, right? That they're happy with what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave them, and then look at how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala describes the the hypocrites. Uh, that the hypocrites became happy with their stance in opposition to the Prophet So this goes back to you know the appropriate emotion for the appropriate circumstance. You shouldn't feel happy in opposing the Prophet You shouldn't feel happy in sinning. You shouldn't feel happy in disobeying Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Yet when Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala blesses you with a child, when you get married, when you finish your hafz of the Quran, these are all instances you should be happy at, right? So poor appropriate emotion for appropriate circumstance. So it's it's like almost like um. Like, like you said, it's like channeling channeling your emotions. You could do it even for the sake of Allah, like even your anger, you could channel it for the sake of Allah, your happiness for the sake of Allah. Of course. When you frame it that way, it's quite interesting. It? It's very interesting, but it's so hard to do. And this yeah. is why you appreciate who the Prophet ﷺ was. Like when people spat at the Prophet ﷺ and, and threw rubbish at the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't get angry at that. But when someone violated you know, the, the sanctuaries of Allah, that's when he got angry, right? Mm. Like how do you get angry not for yourself, like I, 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 as humans, I think it's very hard to comprehend. But that is, you know, emotional mastery that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is showing. Yeah. So let's talk about um, linking all of this in. So we're talking about emotion. Now you have emotional intelligence, which again, it's uh, you know EQ or EI. As yeah. A lot of people are talking about it, writing about it. A lot of research is going into it. Um, where normally, I mean, I guess. Usually we just talk about intelligence, just IQ, right? Which is, mm. what's your IQ? Okay, this person is super clever and intelligent. And that's very impressive to most people. Um, but subhanAllah, you know, you could actually have a, a high level of IQ, but a very low level of emotional intelligence. 100%. Which, uh, which you know, you could argue it's, you know, EQ is probably more important than day-to-day -day interactions and, you know, family and, and friends and so on. Probably, you know, it will hamper your chances of even success you could you could argue if, if your EQ is low and you know, some people maybe the IQ is average but the EQ is on a, is, is a better level so do you mind just taking us through for some people this might be the first time even hearing this term emotional intelligence maybe you've heard it but you've never really given it a thought so what is the almost like the definition to that and, and an intro to that of, of course so I, I think I'll step back a, a moment and when you look at IQ intelligence mm. Oftentimes what ends up happening is as, emo as uh, intellectual intelligence goes up, like our criterion for math and science and those mm. sort of things, social intelligence goes down. That's why the most intelligent people are, the more socially awkward they oh. become, right? Mm. So emotional intelligence will definitely tie into that. Now, does that mean that if a person is intellectually intelligent by the standards that we normally have, that they have to be socially deficient? No, because one is a natural gift that Allah has given you. And the second... Part of it is a natural gift. Another part can be developed as well, right? So social intelligence, emotional intelligence are, are all things that can be developed. Now, with regards to defining it in its simplistic form, it's the, recognize, it's the recognition of your own, own emotional state with the emotional state of, of, of someone else and then using this knowledge to reach a certain goal within the relationship or a certain target in the relationship. So a simple example of this is if I want you to smile, mm -hmm. what can I do to get you to smile? I can ask you, hey, Shabir, can you smile for me, please? And then you'll smile. 
or I could just keep smiling at you like this. And eventually you'll just feel awkward and you'll naturally mm. smile back at me, right? So this is my understanding of my emotional state, your emotional state, where I want you to get and what tools do I have available to me to get you to that state. Now, what ends up happening is if this is not accompanied with a moral intelligence, then this is where it becomes very manipulative. And I can manipulate your emotions and the things that you do for my own personal benefit, okay. right? Whereas the Prophet wasallam, even though we believe he had this high level of emotional intelligence, he always called to something greater than himself, which is the deen of Allah, called to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is a conduit of connecting people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why so many times when he had the opportunity to take benefit and advantage for himself, he didn't do so. Because he wasn't in this for himself. He was in it for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that in summary is how I would define emotional intelligence. Okay. So I, I think it's a good summary, but then I feel like we, we should get a bit practical. We of course, get, you know, 100%. Definitely a bit practical so that we can, we can kind of understand, okay, how does, how does it actually play out in my life? You know, definitions are great. But for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, I want to see. And I, I know we're going to make a lot of references to the seerah. Of course. Um, and if you don't mind, I, I want to give an example that comes to my mind straight away. Whenever I think of the Prophet um, as, uh, and for me, by the way, emotional intelligence is really what defines a great leader. Of course. I think every leader must have a high level of emotional intelligence. For sure. Because you have a responsibility of people and uh, you build relationships and so on. And I think that's what the Prophet um, had. So yeah, the, the the famous example it's a very famous example of the the masjid. You know, the the Prophet is with the companions in the masjid, and a, a Bedouin man walks in, and uh, he literally, I mean, does something which for us would be shocking, and we would want to, you know, uh, this is what the Sahab actually wanted to do. They wanted to get physical and stop this uh, Sahabi, uh, this Bedouin, from uh, uh, what he was doing, which was he just came in and urinated uh, in in the masjid of the Prophet. I mean, out of all masjids. Uh, any masjid is, is you know, uh, of significance, but in the masjid of the Prophet just urinating there and then. And it was the reaction of the companions versus the reaction, of course, of the, the Prophet himself, which is the Sahaba. And naturally, again, they wanted to, to, to put a, to a stop to this. They wanted to physically stop this companion. But then the Prophet was just like, just just leave the guy. I mean, it's it's almost like it's too late. The, the damage is done. Yeah. There's no point getting involved here now, making the situation worse and more awkward. And he just had a word with him afterwards. And... Uh, you know, that for me is is emotional intelligence. It's, it's something very simple, but most people wouldn't be able to do that, like to restrain ourselves in that situation. Just take a moment and think, okay, how do we deal with this situation? Let me have a word with him. Let me just make him understand the importance and the sanctity of the masjid. He's never going to repeat that mistake again. Of course. Um, so that's the example that, that jumps out to me because, yeah, like I said, A, it's it's, it's very hard for us to, to implement that in, in our lives if that was to ever happen. And B, it's just about kind of being a bit more composed, um, thinking thinking ahead of the others, um, and then just the way that you communicate. Because easily, if you just shouted at the, the Bedouin and just said, what are you doing? Astaghfirullah, never do that again. I, I don't think that would have been as effective. Of course. Um, so that's the one that, that jumps out to me, Sheikh. I'm sure you have uh, loads, of, loads of other examples. Oh, I mean, so I, I think let's break these examples down because yeah. that's where the benefit is yeah. going to be. So as we mentioned in the definition, it's your own emotional awareness with the emotional state of someone else and then using that knowledge to get to a common goal. So what was the goal of the Prophet ﷺ? He wanted to win their loyalty, right? right. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself and to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with that being said, winning people's loyalty is not as simple as people think. You can't tell people, hey, be loyal to me and they'll be loyal yeah. to you, right? You have to show commitment and dedication to them. You have to bring benefit to them. You have to show genuine concern for them 
and then they might give you their loyalty, right? And perhaps we can get into the, you know, prophetic framework that I, I want to present uh, on this, inshallah. But this man, he had a, a need that needed to be fulfilled. He needed to relieve himself. Yep. The natural human reaction is we have to care about tahara, yep. right? The Prophet ﷺ cared about tahara, but he recognized that there's something greater than tahara, and that is this man's loyalty to Allah, his messenger, and the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now as everyone else is focused on tahara, the Prophet ﷺ is focused on how do I retain this man's loyalty to Allah, Islam, and the Prophet ﷺ. So as the companions are about to attack him, the Prophet ﷺ tells the companions to stop, let him finish. Now, here's the, the wisdom behind this that often isn't focused on. The Prophet ﷺ telling, him, telling the companions to let him finish, is this permission to urinate in the masjid? Mm. No, it's not. It's after the fact. And had we stopped him, multiple things could have happened. Number one, the man would have urinated in more places, would have urinated on perhaps on some of the companions. But number two, if you tell someone to stop urinating in the process of urinating, this could actually be harmful to them, right? Mm. So the Prophet ﷺ, and this shows you again, his level of intelligence, besides just emotional intelligence, he said, let him finish, because that will minimize the harm in all of these instances. He finishes that urination, and he tells him, look, this is the masjid, you're not meant to urinate. Now, what's really fascinating is that when you look at the other versions of this hadith, what ends up happening? The man ends up saying, may Allah have mercy upon me and upon you and no one else, right? And what is this a result of? The emotional intelligence of the Prophet ﷺ, that he didn't humiliate him, didn't put him down, didn't physically harm him by telling him to, to, urinate, uh, to stop urinating, and thus he had won the man's loyalty. And the Prophet ﷺ laughed at that you can't restrict that which is unrestrictable, right? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this shows you one example of the emotional intelligence of the Prophet ﷺ, where everyone else is focused on tahara, the Prophet ﷺ is focused on winning this man's loyalty. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it, um, which is, because you just have to think, looking at the seerah, how the Prophet achieved so much with this group of companions in such a short space of time, and how that number, of course, even was growing over the years. Even just in Medina, you know, like within a few years, how, how those companions were, they would do anything for him. And it, 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 is, it is something to think about where sometimes you might just assume, no, he's a, he's a messenger of Allah, so Allah just uh, just made, made, them, <laughs> made it happen, right? He but didn't. no, it, it, yeah. it wasn't. It was, it was really an intentional, um, you know, intentional actions from the Prophet which led so to Allah them just doing, I, one thing I really appreciate about the Prophet is how he always, when it came to the companions, he always kind of, um, he focused on their strengths. Mm. Uh, he didn't really look at their weaknesses, though they had their own weaknesses, but he always kind of tapped into their strengths and empowered them, whether they were warriors, whether they were business you know, men and merchants, or whether they were even poets, right, creatives. Mm. He always like focused on what they were good at. Of course. And he, he harnessed that and, and you know, gave them the confidence to use that for the sake of Allah. You never like put anyone down, okay, why, why aren't you, you know, in, in the marketplace? Why aren't you in the battlefield? Why aren't yeah. you like doing he just So I feel like, Maybe that also, there was emotional intelligence behind that approach from the Prophet as well. Of course, 100%. I yeah. mean, I think a clear example of this, you're mentioning all the things that he harnessed. Mm. But we have examples where the Prophet clearly told a companion, look, leadership is not meant for you, mm. right? Like you're too soft of an individual and this is not going to be a good fit for you. Yeah. So the Prophet not only harnessed people's talents and, and, and what they were good at, but also prevented people from falling into further harm for themselves. Right, you put a weak individual in a position of leadership, it'll destroy them. Right, mm. they'll be overcome and they'll uh, they'll they'll succumb to sin at that point. Right, so the, can I just present the framework at this point? Because <laughs> I think go for it, go it'll, for it. it'll make things so much easier <laughs> when I present this framework. 
So the framework is based upon uh, the ending of Surah Tawbah. Mm. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He tells us لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَعَنِتُمْ حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَعُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ So there, there's come to you a prophet and messenger from amongst your own selves uh, It is severe upon him the pain that you feel He desires that which is best for you or earnest for that which is best for you And he is compassionate and merciful with the believers mm. Now oftentimes when you look at the beginning of this ayah that there's come to you a prophet from amongst your own selves. A lot of the emphasis is on, oh, he spoke their language, he dressed like them, he ate like them. You weren't able to differentiate who the Prophet was from the other companions. And factually, that is true. But let us take the first part of the ayah and try to connect it to the second, which is that it severely pains him, the pain that you feel. What do we understand from that, right? Azizun alayhi ma'anitum. What do we understand from that? And this is where I think a holistic study of the seerah is so important. Where if you look at the life of the Prophet it's filled with death, right? His father passing away, his mother passing away, his grandfather passing away, his uncle passing away, Khadija radiallahu anha passing away, all of his kids with the exception of Fatima radiallahu anha passing away. It's filled with, you know, his companions passing away. Mm. It's filled with, you know, being mocked, being ridiculed, being slandered. The, the slander of Aisha radiallahu anha it's filled with treachery, you know, the, the munafiqun pulling out of the battle. He, Prophet arrives into Medina and he uh, establishes a treaty with the tribes there and they too prove to be treacherous, right? Think about Taif. The Prophet is going to them with something beneficial. Not only do they reject it, they pelt him mm. to the degree that he's bleeding. So, so much pain. But what is the point of all of this? The point of all of it, a lot of people say, was so that he would further rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, factually true. But is there another perspective? This is what I believe developed the empathy of the Prophet ﷺ. So that when someone came and said, Ya Rasulullah, my father has passed away. The Prophet ﷺ, in his eloquent vernacular can say, been there, done that, right? My father too passed away. I know what it's like. You know, let me help you get through it. Because the Prophet ﷺ has experienced that. And when you know someone has experienced a pain that you're experiencing, you're more likely to develop a bond with them and a connection with them. So the Prophet ﷺ was able to connect with people based upon the pain that they felt and he recognized what pain does to people. So when they fell short, and this ties into the last part of the ayah, he was the most compassionate and forgiving towards them because he understood that this is not the normative case, mm -hmm. right? So now let us proceed with this. So uh, a Prophet from amongst you, he experienced the same pain with you. Uh, it is severe upon the pain that you feel the uh, epitome of, uh, of empathy. And then harisun alaykum, the Prophet always wants what's best for you. Not just for your akhirah, but for your dunya as well. We have the example of the Prophet you know, preventing that man from being in the position uh, of leadership. Mm -hmm. And then this is where I think the, the kicker is, as they say, that it was inevitable that when you develop deep, meaningful relationships with people, that they will let you down. They will harm you. They will... You know, things are going to happen. And that is where the loyalty is won. When you can find a way to forgive them when you have every reason not to, that is how you will win loyalty. So this Bedouin man urinates in the masjid, the Prophet didn't even make it an issue. He won his loyalty that way. But I think of uh, perhaps the, the greatest example, which is the incident of Hatib ibn Abi Balta, right? Fatah Makkah is happening. He sends this letter. It's an act of treason, man. You can't call it anything else. Yeah. And the Prophet ﷺ does two phenomenal things at this time. 
Number one, he reminds us to remember the good that has proceeded in the relationship. So Hatta was a Badri, he attended Badr. You know what? We remember this greatness that he had. And then number two, we, it's identified for us what was in the letter, right? That, you know, the, the Muslims are coming, sell your property, get out of the land. That this was not religious treason. It was not like nifaq. This was a love for the dunya that got in the way of the deen. So the Prophet recognized that it wasn't major treason. So he's like, you know what? He's a Badri and it's not religious treason. It was a human weakness. Let him be, let him go. And the important part over here is normally we're told not to look at people's intentions, mm-hmm. right? We shouldn't judge people's intentions, yeah. except when it's for the benefit of forgiving them. So if someone makes a mistake, it's unintentional. Yes, it caused you a great amount of harm, but look at their intention. Did they actually mean to harm you? If they didn't mean to harm you, it was a human weakness, human mistake, let it go for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being said, this is the prophetic framework as to how the Prophet wasallam won their loyalty and got them to be genuinely to say, may I be sacrificed for your Messenger of Allah. May my parents be sacrificed mm-hmm. for your Messenger of Allah. Because he was loyal to them. He was deeply concerned about them. He desired that which was best for them. And then when they made mistakes, he was the most forgiving of people. Mm. So that, that's giving us a bit of a, a few ingredients there for... Because when we think of leadership, we're probably thinking of you know a politician or a, um, a leader of a state or something. But of actually, course. We, we all have... Uh, we all have, uh, to some capacity, some kind of leadership, whether it's in the home or relationships or workplace. You know, I mean, look at the hadith. Kullukum ra'in. Yeah. Right? Each and every one of you has a responsibility and accountability to someone and to something, right? Mm. So no one escapes uh, leadership, as we call it. Yeah. So, so these are all lessons that we can apply to any capacity of leadership. We all have different capacities. And, of course. Uh, you know, ultimately, if it's your own children, then... You know they need they need to feel love and, and loyalty. Uh, you know and have that loyalty and respect towards you, whether it's a spouse or um, or, or anywhere else. Um, so all these re- really interesting, and it's it's always great how we can refer, as we said at the beginning, refer back to the seerah because of course. you know for example empathy has become huge. Like I'm I'm seeing um, CEOs of companies and entrepreneurs and and all of these you know personalities online talking about empathy, empathy is so important, uh, you know, in the workplace, the, mm. between the, the management and, and, and the employees and so on. Um, and it's just become such a big thing, people writing books about it. But, uh, you know, we're giving these real life examples from the seerah where the Prophet was the most empathetic towards his companions, towards his family. And there's just so many, so many lessons we can add. And, you know, there's that verse in the Quran, you know, about... Um, you know, it's, 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 so, it's so true, you know, had you been harsh towards them and hard-hearted, then these companions, they would have fled from you, they would have, they would have dispersed. Yeah. Um, and this shows that this is from the Rahmah of Allah, that you, you were lenient towards them, you showed that kindness towards them. So, so where's the balance? Because, so yeah, hold on, let, let, let's get back over here. Oh, I think you've okay. hit the nail on the head without realizing it okay. over here. <laughs> Like going back to masculinity mm. is masculinity about being macho and chauvinistic and and tough. Mm. If it was, that's what the Prophet was being described would have been described as over here. But he's told by Allah, Fabima Rahmatin min Allah that this is only by the mercy of Allah, Linta that you were you know soft and kind with them. So the mercy of Allah is that you're soft and kind with them. Meaning that it is not from the mercy of Allah to be harsh and macho with people as a default interaction. Mm. The default interaction should be soft and gentle, mm. right? And then macho-ness has its position in place. 
like on the battlefield and so on and so forth. Of course, of course. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, Umar al whenever we speak about Umar ibn al-Khattab, we always speak about the macho nature of Umar. And of course. He was, you know, he never, he, he, he had a stick and, you know, he was uh, <laughs> very stern. But we never talk about how he would literally, you know, cry in All night time. time and he was yeah. always worried about what would happen to him on the day of judgment and how Allah is going to ask about you know especially when he was a Khalifa of how Allah is going to ask about his subject we never talk about that of course so that's not very uh, yeah. that's not very masculine but we always talk about Khalid and Umar and how they won the battlefield so, so you're right there is a there's a time and place for everything but to just frame it in one way is actually harmful and uh, let's be honest you're not going to get far in life if in a marriage as a husband you're you always, you know, you always putting your wife down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, just all the time. You know, you have to let your hair down, as they yeah. say, and you have to be kind and soft, and, and that's how they're going to come and, and gain that closeness towards you. Um, on that, on on that note, before we talk about a few other things, since since I just mentioned marriage, and you know, as we said, there's always a reference to marriage, but I feel like uh, emotional intelligence and all of these things, empathy and so on, is so uh, important in in a marriage, and I feel like maybe perhaps that's where a lot of us are lacking as spouses. Um, where we're lacking uh, EQ and therefore our relationships are suffering as a result. Um, because again, maybe we're thinking too practically um, when it comes to marriage, okay, I need to do, I need to check this thing and that thing. Um, but sometimes it's basic things, it's just like, you know, being empathetic, controlling your emotions, all of these things that we've been talking about. So I know it can, it can uh, impact any relationship, but uh, any thoughts on just specifically marriage and, and how we can- <laughs> A lot of thoughts, yeah. a lot of thoughts. So I, I think let's look at two fundamental mistakes that people will make with regards to marriage. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us, that men and women are not alike. And this especially applies to psychological differences between men and women. So these are gross generalizations. I recognize that before I give these examples. But if you look at the way men and women process stress, drastically different. A man, something stressing him out, he wants to be by himself. He doesn't want to speak about his emotions. A woman, she's stressed out, and oftentimes she will want external comfort and external support, yep. right? And we'll give two examples over here. So at a wedding one day, table of sisters on the opposite end of the room, sisters crying. And honestly, this is like the, the, the epitome of sisterhood, where one sister is, you know, caressing her from the back, another one's providing her with a tissue, another one's telling her everything's going to be okay, another one bringing a glass of water. And I'm like, Allahu Akbar, like everyone needs this support yeah, system yeah. in their lives, yeah. right? And that's how the sister was processing her emotions. Now imagine if that happened with a brother. <laughs> You're trying to hug him and comfort him and offer him a tissue. You'd be like, get away from me. Like, I don't want this, right? So it, it would have an adverse reaction. So now let's bring this to a practical scenario where a man comes home, sees his wife stressed out, she's crying. And he has no experience with interacting with women before. You can imagine no sisters or anything like that. Oh, he's like, oh, my wife's stressed. When I'm stressed, I like to be alone. Let me give her space. Goes up to his room, starts watching TV or playing video games. <laughs> and the wife's going to be like, what an inconsiderate, exactly. selfish person. Like, why does he not care about my well-being, right? So you can see how that plays out. And the exact opposite end, and husband comes home. He's stressed out. He's clearly upset. And wife's like, hey, sit down and let's talk about your emotions. <laughs> he's going to be like, no, that's not who I am. I don't want to talk, yeah. right? So, you know, those things happen all the time. So I think that's the first thing, understanding psychological differences uh, between one another. And then the, 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 the second thing is um, we focus too much on the obligations, mm -hmm. right? Like, what am I obliged to do? What are my rights that need to be fulfilled? 
But that's not how relationships thrive, right? Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly tells us, وَأَحْسِنْ كَمَا أَحْسَنَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْكِ And show excellence and so, show, uh, you know, go above and beyond, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done for you, right? So similarly in the relationship, if we constantly focus on me and what I'm supposed to get and what I deserve and the entitlement that I have, this is a destructive recipe, right? Focus on more, you know, what can I do for the other individual, to get them to become happier, to get them to become more confident, to help, to, to make sure that they're feeling emotionally uh, and physically fulfilled, mm. right? So those are the two mistakes that I, that I would think people make. I, I like the obligations point. And yeah. I always point towards, <clears throat> for example, because, um, you know, some people, they always kind of like uh, respond by saying, yeah, but obligations are important and so on. I'm not saying they're not important. It's just, for example, I, I give the example of salah. Okay, salah is, is a, you have to pray five times a day. If a person's just thinking, okay, what do I need to do in terms of my obligation, just pure fault to get this salah done? That's not the way that we approach it. Yes, it's 100%. important to know those, to know the minimum yeah. for your salah to be valid and, and, and so on and complete. But nobody actually goes, okay, all I need to say is Allah Akbar. Okay, I don't need to read this to at the beginning. Just straight to Fatiha. Yeah. And maybe just the, the minimum amount of verses it requires. Yeah. And then Ruku, subhanahu wa Like no one, you're not supposed to think like this. Just think, okay, no, no. I know the, the obligations, but then... My salah is supposed to be excellent. It's supposed to be complete. I'm supposed to fulfill as many of the sunnahs, etc., as I can. And then I just use that example to say, okay, same thing for marriage. Then mm. you know your obligations, or the minimum is, but that's just like a skeleton. What about the flesh and the meat, right? Of you course, know, that that comes with the additional going out of your way and all of the, all of the things basically uh, that we're talking about. Hundred percent. Yeah. So 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 marriage is marriage is a good example um, when it comes to emotional intelligence. But like we said, day to day. Every day we have interactions, interactions with people. There was something interesting, Sheikh, that I came, that, that I came across, which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was something to do with, and I, I think maybe you referred to earlier on, is how um, in, in your interaction with someone, you may have, uh, you know, most of us assume that it's the words that we say mm. um, that that's the most important. Um, but actually, you know, from, from, from what I've seen, it's that's not the most important. It's a very small percentage of what you actually say. And then it's the... The, the tone in which you say it and then of course it's it, actually the, the majority of the focus is on for example the, the the tone and then the body language as well of course um which which i when i first came across it i read it in a book somewhere and i just found that so fascinating because i was like we always are careful about what we say and we should be careful of the way that we articulate things but actually most of the time it's not about the actual word itself you could say something in a really bad way but if you really genuinely mean it and you show you know it, it, it i guess it just kind of it just kind of really you can feel it from the other person how genuine they are and how caring in, in their body language so I'm sure you can enlighten us a bit more on what I'm trying to get at do you have yeah, you know what I'm referring to I, I do yeah, yeah. I, I completely know what you're referring to so when we look at communication what percentage of it is the words that we express what percentage of it is our body language and our facial expression and what uh, percentage of it is actually the tone that we use right yeah. and what's important to highlight over here are, are, are several points. I think let's work backwards, reverse engineer this, is that when a baby is crying, mm. does it make any sense to tell a baby stop crying? It's not gonna make sense. The baby will not understand, nor does it have the ability to control you know, itself as to why it's crying. Something's bothering it, it's been trained, okay, I should cry at that time. So now what is the intelligent thing to do over here 
is understand that when a baby is crying, a few things might be happening. It might be sleep deprived, it might be food deprived, might need its nappy changed, or you know what, maybe something's bothering it. So let me try to troubleshoot this and do all of those things and hopefully it'll stop crying, mm -hmm. as opposed to telling the baby to stop crying, right? Now the reason why I highlight this is because the Prophet وسلم, he teaches us something very, very profound, even with regards to animals. So there's this man that was abusing his camel, right? Mm -hmm. Putting too much weight on it, wouldn't give it uh, enough water. And this camel was crying and he recognized in the Prophet as he was walking by that the Prophet perhaps could do something. So the Prophet heard it out and then went and reprimanded this man. Mm -hmm. What was fascinating is, what did he tell this man? Fear Allah with regards to those that cannot speak, mm -hmm. right? Now you can take this statement and apply it to so many different scenarios. So you have the child that's not able to articulate what's able to bother itself. Yep. But let's go on to adults that don't know how to articulate themselves, perhaps due to previous trauma, perhaps due to stress levels currently in their life, perhaps due to other reasons that they haven't even been taught to how to express their emotions, right? So they may, may be emotionally stinted, a variety of reasons. So what that means is, if you understand that people will have the inability to articulate themselves or struggle to articulate themselves if they are being overworked or the, if they are being abused, what that means is you have to be extra cognizant of that, right? Managers should not expect from their employees that they can work 18-hour shifts and still, you know, sustain a healthy lifestyle and have a good family life and have, you know, time for extracurricular activities. No, but rather assume that, you know what, that if I was to burden this person, they probably wouldn't tell me. So the right thing for me to do is to try to avoid burdening this person in the first place, right? So fearing Allah with regards to those that cannot speak. So that's the reverse engineering part. Number two is that understand there are power dynamics as well. That sometimes you may tell someone to do something, but because of the power dynamic, they may be shy to say no. They may be hesitant yeah. to say no. So even though they're saying yes to your face, what is their body language telling you? What is their tone and expression telling you? There is a reluctancy there. So pick up on that and don't, don't just go on the words that they're saying, right? In an ideal situation, all three should be congruent, the tone, the body language, and uh, the articulation. But oftentimes, that won't be the case. So don't just focus on the words, but focus on the tone and the body language as well. And, and it's absolutely phenomenal on how human beings were not created to lie, right? And what I mean by that is there's certain things human beings will do when they're lying. So... If someone's trying to recollect a memory that didn't happen, they won't naturally look in the right direction, right? They'll look in the opposite direction. When someone is lying, their, um, the, their heartbeats per minute will naturally go up. Their pupils will dilate. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create us to lie. So this shows us that if that is truly the case, then if you're paying attention to these things, you can actually discern between who's telling the truth and who's lying right. uh, as well. So body language, tone, and, and, and words. Uh, body language is most important, and then the tone, and then the words. I think it's such a Sheikh, an underrated, almost skill you could say to you know like read the room and read read body language. Of course, I think it's it's such a it's so underrated because not many people talk about this or focus on it. Yeah. Um, but I think it makes a world of a difference if you're able to you know if you're able to scan and even uh, from an individual um, uh, communication between between uh, between yourself and someone else. And you're able to kind of gauge, okay, is this person interested? Is this person, you know, reluctant, as you said? Or, or 
I think it makes a world of difference, even even if it's just with a group of people. You know, uh, you mentioned a wedding, and I, I go to a lot of weddings and nikahs. It's important, especially even public speaking talks and things. You know, to to be able to scan a room and be able to figure out, okay, is my talk going on for too long now? Of course, it, it makes a big difference because 100%. this could be the difference between a person engaging with the dean and a person turning around thinking, oh, these imams just uh, waffle all day long, and uh, you know, I don't. I, this is this is what khutbah is normally is. Um, but if you're able to look, okay, let me get to the point. Let me let me conclude now. Is someone you know? Is most of the room falling asleep, or have I said something that's maybe offended someone? Because of again, you could you can you can gauge that immediately if you've said something that maybe that's offended someone. I've seen people just carry on like yeah. with the interaction. Like you can clearly you're supposed to stop and be like, sorry, you know, apologize. Maybe clarify even. Maybe it was a slip of the tongue. I think it's such a, an amazing personal. You know, a, a skill to have in personal interactions and group interactions. Of course, yeah. of course. And being able to recognize when people aren't comfortable is such an important thing. And making sure that people feel comfortable mm-hmm. and people feel safe. And that is when they'll thrive. Because if people don't feel comfortable and people don't feel safe, they'll never thrive in that environment. Yeah. yeah. Any other um, examples before we move on? Any other final examples that come to your mind? Just because I just love dissecting from the CRR, you know, uh, with the Prophet, the, the amount of, you know, uh, uh, interactions that he had with different companions and different people, um, you know, some some of them were strange. Some of them he only met once. Yeah. But he's had such a profound impact on them. Subhanallah, from that one interaction, um, you know, they 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 just never forgot that one interaction. There's others that he saw, you know, pretty much every every other day, um, where they they were learning learning from him um, uh, and so on. So any any others that come to your mind, Sheikh? Uh, I I think there are several. We can yeah. go through them pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, let's look at the Anas radiallahu anhu. Yeah. So Anas radiallahu anhu comes to the house of Prophet He's distraught. He, the Prophet asks him, you know, what's distressing you? Anas openly says, you know what? My brother's bird died. <laughs> and I always laugh at this example yeah. because like Anas is, you know, seven to 10 years old at most. Uh, his younger brother is a toddler at this point. And the Prophet wasallam goes to his house and he speaks to this toddler, you know, what happened to your bird, right? Yeah, but my ma'fa'ala and And it's just mind-boggling that how the Prophet wasallam had this conversation with this toddler. You can imagine it, it's barely comprehensible. Yet the Prophet wasallam did it. Why? Because that would create a safe environment for Anas so that he can thrive in the work that he needs to do, right? So he's not distraught. So that's one example. So that's like deep, genuine concern for people and fulfilling, uh, you know, taking care of that which, which is uh, which is hurting them. Then we have the example of the man that came complaining to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, give me permission to, to commit zina, mm. right? Young man, clearly distraught, wants to commit zina. Natural reaction of the companions, how dare you get away from us? Yeah. And the Prophet ﷺ says, you know what, bring him closer to me. And this is such a powerful lesson that those that are on the fringes of our community our natural reaction is to push them away. The Prophet ﷺ teaches us to bring them closer. The man that wanted to commit zina, the man that urinated in the, in the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ always has the opposite reaction to what the majority have over here, right? So brings him closer. And he didn't just tell him that this is haram. He tries to, you know, logically cement it in his head as to why he should hate zina. Mm-hmm. Would you like this for your mother? Would you like this for your sister? Would you like this for your aunt? Would you like this for your female relatives? No then hate it for all of the other men's female relatives as well, just like you hate it for yourself. Now, the most beautiful part of this is the fact that the Prophet didn't stop there. He places his hand on his chest and he says, Oh Allah, forgive him for his sins. Oh Allah, purify his heart and oh Allah, protect his chastity. Yes, the dua is beautiful, but we overlook the fact that the Prophet places his hand on this man's chest. 
when people are distressed, what do they need? They need physical contact. So this comforts them. But number two, as a young man and you're having what you consider these impure thoughts, the Prophet ﷺ showing that your thoughts may be impure, but this doesn't make you impure, and thus I am willing to touch you over here, right? Mm -hmm. so that's example number two. Example number three, and let's bring this back to marriage. You know, one of the things um, post-enlightenment that the Prophet ﷺ is unrightly uh, accused of is marrying Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha at such a young age, yeah. right? But is there any incident in the seerah where, the, where Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha shows that she's unhappy with the Prophet or she's discontent with the relationship or she feels that this wasn't right? Never, ever do we see that. In fact, we see the exact opposite and that's what I want to highlight over here in Sahih al-Bukhari under the, the chapter of the anger of women, Right? The Prophet وسلم, he summons Aisha عنها, and he says, I know when you're happy with me and I know when you're angry with me. She says, Ya Rasulullah, how am I when I'm happy and how am I when I'm angry? And he says, when you're angry, you say, by the Lord of Ibrahim, such and such will happen. By the Lord of Ibrahim, you will do such and such. And when you're happy, you say, by the Lord of Muhammad وسلم, you will do such and such. And by the Lord of Muhammad وسلم, such and such will happen. And Aisha عنها, and again, you can fill in the details, even though it isn't specifically mentioned in the hadith. You can imagine she blushes. She was known as Al-Humaira. And what does she say? She says, Ya Rasulullah, even though the words may change, my love for you will always remain in my heart. And that is where the hadith ends. Now what sticks out about all of this, the Prophet ﷺ creates a moment of intimacy that had no physical contact. He brings her close to her and he whispers in her ear, even though there's no need to whisper because there's no one else in the house, but this is to make her feel special and to make her feel valued. In other hadith, we find that he refers to her as Aish, you know, my life, my, my, my dear, right? So he uses a, a term of endearment. But I think the most powerful thing that the Prophet ﷺ did in this hadith was not just the emotional awareness of how her emotional states change and allowing her the full range of emotion between happiness and anger. And not only was he able to recollect all the words that she uses, but he allowed her to have the last word. And this shows us that the Prophet ﷺ had no ego. Because the egotistical man will always want the last word in a fight and in a display of love. Oh, I love you more, I love you mostest, you know, to the end of it. Yet the Prophet ﷺ let her have the last word because he knew how much it would mean to her, right? So these are all different examples of the emotional intelligence of the Prophet ﷺ. Yeah, one thing that stands out to me from just a few of those examples is just how, subhanAllah, Prophet ﷺ is <clears throat> literally, we're talking about the busiest man. 100%. Ever, right? So many, <laughs> so many things happening, revelation, messenger of Allah, sent not just for the Arabs, for the entire nation, you know, all the people and. So many things happening day to day, people he's meeting, companions, masjid, battles and so on. But then these small examples of how he took time out even for a toddler, as you said. Yeah. Or he, he, he picked up from Aisha how you know, he recognized that she was angry with him. It just for me, that's just amazing how you know we we just get so sucked into our work and uh, you know our commitments, and we just ignore a lot of these things, or we just we just bypass these things. Whereas the Prophet, being the busiest man that he was, he's picking up and he's making time, and and you know that just shows his emotional intelligence, his awareness, um, self awareness, those around him, awareness of others, and that for me, it just I just think wow, you know, like that's something that we can definitely learn from. Him but I, I I think the deeper lesson over here is we will always make time for the things that we value. That's and true. the Prophet ﷺ valued people. Right? And unfortunately, I think our relationships have often become very transactional. Mm. What can you do for me? What can I benefit from you? Mm. And I will show you kindness based upon that level of transaction. 
which is very, very unfortunate, subhanAllah. So question for you, Sheikh. In the, uh, the digital age that we're living in now on social media, do you think social media is killing emotional intelligence almost, and especially when it comes to interactions with one another? Because it's just, you know, when you speak to someone face-to-face, it's one thing, and then you're behind a screen and you can say whatever you want, however you want. Um, is that almost kind of killing this, you know, this positive uh, thing that we're discussing now, which is emotional awareness and intelligence and things, because it's stripped of all that when you're when you're communicating with someone, you know. Hundred percent. I mean, when someone sends you a text message, you can't read their body language, you can't yeah. tell their tone, and that's going to be very confusing. And what's becoming even more disastrous is people don't even know how to type anymore, right? Like. How are you, HRU, right? Like, what is <laughs> happening over here, right? So there's a, a, a huge disaster in communication happening there without a, a shadow of a doubt. And then you add into the whole usage of emojis, right? Like WhatsApp now allows you to choose an emoji yeah, to respond yeah, to a yeah, message. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are we doing to communication, right? Uh, and I think this emphasizes the fact that doing something uh, quickly and what we consider efficiently is not always better, right? Mm-hmm. Taking your time to spend time with people and discuss things with people and being intimate with people. Uh, again, that's where relationships thrive and that's where loyalty is developed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, something that we're all guilty of. You know, even, even Islamic terms, it's funny. 100%. Like, we, we shorten, yeah, yeah, yeah. shorten everything. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll share something that, that I have with you on my phone. Yeah. Like, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You type in S-A-W on my phone and yeah, it types yeah, yeah. out sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's just the reality of the times that we yeah, live in. Subhanallah. But it's it's yeah it's 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 always interesting to see how, you know, we're getting so used to interacting with each other. I mean, even like you go to a grocery store and you have self checkouts now, so you don't interact with someone. I'm yeah. guilty of it as well. So I'm just not in the mood. I'm just gonna go to the self checkout, just do my thing, and just walk off. So it's like we're really really decreasing the the level of social interaction with others. We're not really giving each other time, and I think COVID kind of really compounded that because of course you were away from each other for a while and. Uh, you know, we just got so used to FaceTiming and things. So it's like, you know, I always say this and I'm guilty of it myself where even family and relatives, you know, extended family, um, it's just not like before. I feel like, you know, even just going back some years, you know, everyone used to make time for each other. Everyone used to attend each other's gatherings. There was dawats and there were things. And now it's just like, you just don't see them anymore, you know? Yeah. Just moving away from that. And that's family. Then imagine you've got friends and so on. So, um yeah, it's 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 sad as well, and I think you know it's it's on us to try and maintain that level of interaction. But then, as as we're talking about here, it's not just about interacting; it's about how, and it's about the power behind that interaction and the, the kind of things that we can that we can uh, bring into that interaction. So we're coming to the end, Sheikh, of of our discussion. But um, we always try to end on on a more kind of practical note. And I know, by the way, this is a topic which we could talk about for for, for a long, long time. Um, but uh, it's, I feel it's important to end on, on more practical notes on just what kind of thing, more, more things we can do day to day to, firstly, I guess, I think you mentioned at the beginning that um, intelligence is one thing, but then you have well, IQ is one thing, but then emotional intelligence can actually be developed. Of course. So maybe someone's thinking, okay, how do I develop my emotional intelligence? I thought it was just maybe naturalism, my environment and so on. So should we start with that? And then maybe we can go into just some final kind of uh, Points, uh, to take of, of course, so I, I think it's very important to, to highlight and give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the information that I've presented, the framework, 
uh, and the grounding of it came from Sheikh Mikhail Smith. Yeah, so he has this yeah. phenomenal book with the heart and mind. Yeah, Highly recommend that book and encourage our brothers and sisters to, to get it. He has a new book uh, out as well on prophetic listening. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but in his own words, he says that, that book, the second book is better than the first one. So I'm excited to, to check that out. Um, Number two um, was when my father passed away, rahimahullah. I wanted to find a way to process everything. Okay. So I went through with the heart and mind and I used my community uh, as an outlet. Uh, and I did a, a four-part explanation of the book that you can forward, uh, find on YouTube. So for those that are interested in more detailed examples, understanding what intelligence is, understanding what prophetic emotional intelligence is, understanding what moral intelligence is. And then chapter four is on how do you bring about radical change over a short period of time, like the Prophet did. That's a summary of the four chapters. You can find that on YouTube. Uh, they're about an hour to an hour and a half for each session. So I think for those that want to learn more, they can, they can go over there. Yeah. Now, with regards to where do you start from, I think for ourselves is building our own emotional bandwidth. Okay. And what that means is go back to your understanding of who Allah is and go back to your understanding of Qadr. And that is how you develop emotional bandwidth. So always perceive the best of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that Allah allows to happen in your life, that this is an act of love, mercy, compassion, and justice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Understand the qadr of Allah, that nothing befalls me except that Allah has decreed it. And if Allah decreed it, there's a benefit behind it, either sin being forgiven or something I meant to learn. So all these frameworks are very, very important. So developing emotional bandwidth. Number two, picking up on how people perceive you, right? Some people naturally come across very angry, even when they're not. Some people naturally come across as, you know, being very authoritative, even when they don't mean to be. Mm -hmm. So try to pick up on how do people perceive you? And then what can you do to change that perception? Number three, simple things that go a very long way, like speaking slowly, smiling when you speak, when you shake hands, be the last one to let go, showing love in non-traditional ways, right? It's not just about empty words going above and beyond that, going out of your way to spend time with someone, going out of your way to understand someone. That is how, you know, we should be showing love and valuing those things, right? So I think that is where I would begin this conversation with in the Okay, good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if, uh, one thing you remind me of actually, Sheikh, while you were just talking about emo emotional bandwidth and things is, uh, again, something which I feel is underrated is um, just just being a bit more, composed you know i feel like um as human beings you know we're, we're very hasty generally speaking um hasty to make a decision hasty when we're interacting with people you, you spoke about speaking slowly for example hasty just with uh, making judgment judgments right you know you see someone as you said maybe it's just the way that they are how many interactions i've had you know whether it's at a wedding or in a classroom or something where i just i realize almost immediately that okay this is just the temperament this is just the personality of this individual they mm. don't mean anything bad towards exactly. me yes um and, and i think that could solve a lot of problems because i think some people we we get into the defensive mode very quickly and we're like okay wh why are you talking to me like that for yeah, yeah and it yeah. just it doesn't it doesn't help with relationships so if you want to mold that relationship then be a bit more composed and i, and I think you know it's, it's spoken about in the quran how you know of course um, human beings generally are hasty um and uh, i think there's a hadith where the prophet mentioned you know, shaytan, that actually uh, it's from shaitan to be kind of hasty and to, to make hasty decisions mm. and so on. Whereas calmness and composure is a sunnah. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, again, I feel like, you know, I don't know if you agree, but it's, it's a very underrated quality to have where you just 
calmer and, and more composed and, and less quick in making rash decisions and, and judgments. So I, I think this is so fascinating. I wish you could spend more time. Yeah. But why are people hasty? Like mm. what is causing the haste, right? It's wanting to get to the conclusion uh, as soon as possible. And what does that indicate? That perhaps you have a, a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. Perhaps you're, you're fearing the worst and you're not having husnul dhan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. And you just want to minimize the pain as quickly as possible, right? So for a variety of reasons. And I think this beautifully ties into understanding who Allah is and understanding the qadr of Allah. That that which is meant for you will never escape you. And that which escapes you was never meant for you in the first place, right? Mm. So a, a lot of those things will, will come back to that. But haste uh, is a terrible thing. And uh, you know, I, I start with myself first and foremost it's part of our conditioning because we're taught to be instantaneously gratified in this day and age, mm. right? Anything you want, you can get a, at a snap of a finger. And that has taken away any level of patience and forbearance we may have had in the past. Whereas even the slightest delay annoys us now, whereas in the past we understood that this was the process of life. Yeah. The process of life has now deprived, of us, deprived us of developing patience and forbearance. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, you know... I think we've covered, mashallah, a really good range of uh, of discussion points related to emotional intelligence, um, and I think it's maybe it, it's I think it's you know each individual, everyone who's listening, should go in and I guess kind of assess where they're at in terms of emotional intelligence. It's very you know I, I guess we can finish off how we started, which is it's 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 important, uh, no doubt, to assess your level of IQ and intelligence and. To take pride in that, no problem, alhamdulillah, you know, it's good. But uh, especially as leaders and, and as Muslims, um, having and developing EQ, I think, is just as important as we've established. And you've mentioned, mashallah, some good resources as well and, and where we can start with ourselves. And um, I think even just taking feedback from others, you know, um, sometimes, you know, I think if you're married, then it's your spouse is probably the best person to, to assess you in terms of where you're at, uh, even close friends or teachers and, 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 and so on, mentors. Uh, where they can kind of give you that feedback as to where your level of kind of EQ is and, and where you can improve. Um, so yeah, any any final closing remarks, Sheikh, uh, before we wrap up? Because yeah, th- there were so many other things I wanted to talk about, but time, as always, is, <laughs> no is of the essence. No worries. <laughs> Inshallah, it's an opportunity to get together again. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. I mean, um, I think my final thoughts, and this is something I think about a lot now, yeah. is when something goes wrong in a relationship, mm try your utmost best to focus on what are things that I can do differently to change the situation and the circumstance. Okay. Right? So often we want to be like, what is the other person doing wrong? You know, what can they do differently? And it's almost like blame, right? And what we want to try to get at is if each person in the relationship was to focus just on themselves and, and look at what can I do differently? What can I do better? What can I do with ihsan? Mm. That will solve so many problems in, in, in relationships, right? And I'll, to give you a clear example of, you know, you tell someone, do this, do this, do this, do this, but they're still not doing it. Mm. At certain point, you have to recognize that you are the fool for giving the same instruction and expecting a different reaction. You need to recognize, okay, perhaps I need to communicate this differently to get a different reaction, right? Mm. So when we have these problems, don't just try to beat the dead horse, but try to be creative in the way that you communicate, right? Uh, And then develop a level of empathy where, you know what, try to understand why this person isn't responding the way that you want. Is there something that's causing them pain? What can I do to take away that pain? And then perhaps we can reach a level in the relationship where everyone's happy. 
Okay. Yeah. Some nice practical points to end up with. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. Jazakallah khairan. Allah bless you and, and your you family, well. inshallah. Look forward to hopefully seeing you again sometime. Inshallah. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you so much.